Oh, lightning round questions. That sounds interesting. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. It's time for Feast of the Seven Fishes. Oh, that's right, because that's an Italian thing. Yes, it is. But there's only one problem. There's only three people in my house, so you really shouldn't have more fishes than people. So we may have the Feast of the One and a Half fishes <laughs> a little different either. this year like everything else exactly exactly well while we are celebrating christmas here we wanted to give you a lightning round episode with some of our guests from shuklastan and this time we have another theme episode of our lightning rounds and we are going on a boat it's a christmas cruise we realized that we had three Shuk Flastanis who were all paddlers, so we thought, let's put them together. And they actually, it's really interesting because there's history to the present day. So we start off today with Andres Toro. As you may remember, he's a four-time Olympian in the sport of canoe sprint, and he competed at Rome 1960 and Tokyo 1964 for Hungary, where he defected to the U.S., then he competed at Munich 1972 and Montreal 1976 for the United States. After his last Olympics, he became involved with the USOC and also remained heavily involved with his sport and recently published a memoir called Chronicles of an Olympic Defector to share his life story. Take a listen to his lightning round. Lightning round. Let's move on to our lightning round. First question, where do you keep your Olympic medal? So I have a little display case in here where my Olympic medal in there and my, uh, my, some of my pictures. Yeah, I, I keep it at home with me, and, and then people come and also, you know, it's okay if they touch it. I don't mind. Sometimes when my kids are coming, I take it out and put them on my neck, and, uh, you know, everybody likes it, yeah. So wait, did you bring your medal to Tokyo with you in 1964? Did, oh, no, I, can, in, I can't remember from the book. No, no. no. Yeah, how did you get your medal? Uh-huh. Uh, my medal stayed behind me in uh, in Hungary, and I was very lucky because uh, after my defection, they, some people came to the house and they questioned my mother and things like that. They took my passport, you know, because of the Olympic credition served as a passport in Tokyo. We don't have to carry our passport in Tokyo. So, you know, took some of my documents, but Somehow the people who were stupid or didn't know my results, they didn't take my medals. And I was afraid that they're going to do it. So my mother hid my medal. And I think when I went back in uh, the 70s, I brought it out with me. So, so that's the way I, and I got out some of the pictures and some of the my other medals and some of the trophies and memorabilia. Yeah. But I have in my house is about, Six or seven boxes of different medals and pins and memorabilia all over it. It's just too much. My my wife is asking me to clean the house. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to get rid of those things. What is your first memory of the Olympics from when you were a kid? Did you get to see or hear or read anything about it in Hungary? 
1952, the Helsinki Games, the Hungarians did really well. They have been 16 gold medals, and they were third on the uh, uh, ranking of the uh, of the other nations. And they came home by train from Helsinki. And I was at the uh, train station when the train came in, a train paraded to the whole of the Budapest. And I saw that parade and I thought that um, oh, I would be, what would be the, uh, uh, you know, I was envy of them, you know, and I was 12 years old and very in the impression stage. And, and I really thought that it would be a cool thing to do to be an Olympian, you know, and, and do all these things. Yeah, 1952. Well, that's fantastic. That's a long time ago. <laughs> 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 and yet you still remember it like it was yesterday, it sounds like. Well, I'm yeah, I remember when the train was pulling off very slowly and stopped. And, you know, and the first, first uh, obviously the team leaders came by and then uh, the, the prime minister was there and shaking hands with them. And, of course, the crowd started yelling and raising the flags and, you know, all sorts of things. Because, uh, remind you, at that time, the Hungarian soccer team was very, very strong and very good. That was the famous Hungarian, uh, you know, 12 who were almost won the world championships in Germany. Yeah, and that was the famous, you know, Puskas, Kocsis, Tibor, and all those uh, players who came internationally unknown and, and and they were at the Olympic Games and they won the gold medal. So, you know, everything was up and up. That was the golden days uh, of the Olympic Then, that was in uh, 52. Then 56 came, which was, you know, just right after the revolution. It was, uh, it was a very, it was a dark, uh, it was a sort of a dark days of the Olympics for, for Hungary, you know, because a lot of athletes defected and didn't come home. A lot of water polo players and uh, football players and runners. And anyway, so that's, was done. Then Rome came, and we did really well in the pentathlon team, won all the events, Ken Kayak, everybody win a medal, and so on. So it, it, this was really a golden days of Hungary in, in the Olympics uh, back in the 50s and the 60s. We talked about the 1956 games several months ago because uh, one of Allison's she, one of the topics she's most interested in is the blood and the water match. Yeah, right, yeah. What did you hear about that in the news at home? Because we talked about what was going on in Australia, but it'd be interesting to hear what you heard back there. Well, we really didn't hear anything. What we heard was through the uh, uh, Free Europe broadcast from Munich. The Free Europe was a sort of a very propaganda station which was illegal to listen to in Hungary. But that's the only news you can get from the Western world to Hungary. And, you know, what's happening is through free Europe. And uh, then we learned that there was a very bloody uh, water polo game and, you know, some other incidents were between the, the Hungarian athletes and the Russian athletes. That, but interest, some of the athletes on the Hungarian team actually sympathized with the Russians at that time. So, you know, it was not really a unanimous kind of a rebellion against the, the uh, Russian team. And uh, just like in uh, an 80 team with, with our, our participation, some people thought, you know, the, the, uh, it's worth it. So, uh, but again, free Europe is, was definitely the source of information. And uh, it was, you know, very unfortunate. And, uh, you know, the athletes were coming home and, and didn't even tell the, tell the people when they're, 
when the aeroplane was arriving, uh, because I think they flew to Prague, and from Prague they took the, the train back to Hungary, and they didn't even tell the people when the train coming back to Budapest in order to uh, avert some of the demonstrations or, or whatever. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was very, kept very, very hush hush. And uh, remind you that even that time, uh, the Hungary was still an open country because they didn't close the border until uh, after Christmas. So when the team came home, it was still possible for people to uh, cross the border and defect and go out to the west. So it was uh, it was very difficult to uh, maintain a sort of a, a political balance in the country. Wow, that that is really interesting. What is your favorite training exercise for canoe? You know, <laughs> it's really interesting to say because I, I can't do it now, but I used to be very good at rope climbing. It's one of the, the one of the exercises you have to do it in, in high schools. And uh, in, in my high school, I was the only person in the school who could go up on a five-meter rope without touching it with my leg, only with my arms only with just upper body strength. And I, I always uh, was very proud of, of demonstrating that. I remember when I got to University of Michigan and in the wintertime we went down to the gym, I was really a star, you know, just grab onto the rope and ching, 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 go up to the top, you know. And everybody said, wow, you know, how do you do this? So that's one of my favorite exercises. Another one is actually running. I was at, as I mentioned in my book, I was at the... Uh, Athlete identification or, or sports identification program in, in when I was 14 years, years old, and I was a good 800 meter runner. I always thought my, my calling was really a 1500 meter, and uh, I, uh, I really liked running, and I, I just never really trained or for it or excelled. As a matter of fact, I saw the uh, 1968, I was at the stadium with the Kenyan team, when I saw the 1500 meter between uh, Ryan and uh, Kipkino, and when uh, Kipkino was running away from him, you know, and it was opened up such a distance in about uh, 300 meters that uh, we didn't think that, you know, Ryan can kick it and, uh, and, and, and make it up. As sure he didn't. And, and I thought, this is the way I would have run the 1500 meter if I would have been a runner, you know, because I always like to running in the front and it I, I really really it really appealed to me but that that race was uh, I, I would never forget that was an exceptional uh, athletic performance i have all these all these stories we can talk in here we got two more we got two more questions this is fun it's so much fun hearing all of the history because so much has changed in that time, and it's it's really great to have this connection and be able to talk to you about all of these changes, especially when you stayed involved in the sport for so long and in the movement for so long. What Olympic sport would you do or coach other than canoe or kayak? I would probably coach running, middle distance running. Yeah, that would be my calling. I think... The reason I like middle distance running because a lot of strategy involved. And, you know, strategizing is, is always my very favorite when I was racing long distance canoe. You know, I was staying on the wash when you get ahead, 
when you do this, when you do that. And running is, uh, is all those things are, you know, you running in the back of the pack, when you have the kick, you know, how do you get out? You know, it's, it's a lot of, lot of strategic things going on. And it's, it's very intriguing to me that moment of decision you make that will affect your race and your result. And how do you do that? You know, like you've seen, I'm sure that you, know, you heard about some of the girls that you know, uh, tripping in the uh, last lap of the, you know, 1500 meter woman race in uh, Los Angeles and, you know, whatever. There's, there's a lot of, lot of these uh, incidents. That's what I'm talking about. You know, you make an instantaneous decision and it is it's good for you or bad for you. And you have, have to learn that thing. You have to train for that thing mentally and physically. And and that that takes a lot of uh, lot of practice. And I would I would love to coach that. Last question. Besides your medal, what is your favorite Olympic souvenir? Out of your six boxes of stuff. Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, every piece is a favorite. <laughs> that's a problem. I do have do have a, a bunch of these miniature boats which are only nine inches long, maybe 12 inches long. And that was made by an old Hungarian boat builder back in the early 60s. And they, they, he was giving it to us as a kind of a souvenir from him. But these are a very special uh, wooden, beautifully finished boat. As a matter of fact, I just made the case for them. And uh, I will, uh, I'm sure I may, I may even send you some pictures. It, it definitely it's it's also my uh, trading pin collection that I have, so which I have you know so much of it. I have some very unique one from uh, countries uh very few of them around. When I was uh, the secretary of the U.S. Olympic Committee back in uh, Seoul, I I was traded a lot of lot of things, and one other thing is I I kind of collect is the Olympic watches. You know, every time the Olympic team went somewhere, you know, we, we, we got a watch. And, and I'm just, um, I never wear them, but I, I'm just kind of kind of crazy about them as a collector because when I grew up, I always thought that that would be a really good, cool thing to have a watch, you know, because that was kind of an adult, kind of a, you know, elite kind of a thing to have a watch. But I, I had so many of them, but I never wear them, you know. Wear them all at once. <laughs> and, but you know, I I received the matter of fact. Uh, I think also in my book on there, I received one gold uh, New York Yankee watch from George Steinbrenner, and uh, that that's one of the pieces I I really cherish. I think it's a, it's a it's a good good little souvenir. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Andres, thank you so much for all your time. Thank you so much, Andres. You can get Andres's book, Chronicles of an Olympic Defector, through our affiliate link at bookshop.org slash shop slash flamealivepod. You know, it was so nice to listen to Andres again. I mean, I just remember that call, and we talked so long with him, and it was really cool to hear stories of Helsinki. Well, it was just so cool to hear the stories from a not-American perspective of things that we don't remember. Mm -hmm. I always love hearing the firsthand stories of the things that don't have any context for me except as historical. Mm -hmm. And then he comes on and says, oh, yes, I was there and did this. And and that was so much fun. And he was just so joyous about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. 
So his love for canoe has not diminished. It's funny when we do the lightning rounds and the athletes we talk to are getting younger and younger. So the first Olympics they remember gets newer and newer. And we're in this stage, I kind of figured out, where the athlete goes, oh, the first Olympics I remember is 2008. And we're like, oh, no, we're so old. But then we hear somebody like Andres and, oh, the first Olympics you remember is 1952. And we're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm waiting like to flip the we're switch the babies in the room. for our own self. Maybe someday we'll, we'll, we'll feel okay about when, when the Olympians, their first Olympics that they remember is 2028. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> you know what? If we are still alive talking to athletes <laughs> who remember the first Olympics is 2028, I will be pretty excited. <laughs> that will be exciting. Save the date. All right. Where will the 2048 Olympics be? I don't know. <laughs> no, but I, I betcha, I betcha India's going to bid. <laughs> a, a bid and you me. know who else is going to bid again? China? Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Detroit. Yeah, they might by the time it's, nine, it's 2048, they might have it together to bid again. Get over their 26 rejections. Right. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Leslie Klein. Leslie is an Olympian who competed in the sport of kayak. She was chosen for the 1980 team, had to sit out those games due to the U.S.-led boycott, and then she competed at L.A. 1984. Post-competitive life, she worked for different national governing bodies and most recently was the director of athlete career and education at the USOPC. Take a listen to her lightning round. Lightning round! So first question is, where do you keep your 1980 medal and your 1984 diploma? The 84 diploma is on the wall in the office I'm sitting in right now. And yeah, we got this congressional medal. I didn't really even understand and threw it in a box. And my husband helped me renovate and build an office. And he dug out all that stuff and put it on one little shelf. So thanks to him, I do have that. And then I actually also have a picture that was in Sports Illustrated from the opening ceremonies on the double truck in the middle of the opening ceremonies spread in Sports Illustrated. There were pictures of the opening ceremonies when everyone in the stadium, all the spectators held up the cards that were under their seats and made the flags of the world. And that was a big picture that went across two pages. And there were three other athletes and it was myself, and one of my teammates, a separate headshot, and then another guy who was a rower. And mine, I had um, walked into the opening ceremonies with my pigtails like Pippi Longstocking with a coat hanger in my hair and braids and American flags sticking out of each, um, the end of each pigtail. And so that was in Sports Illustrated. And so he, I asked the photographer from Sports Illustrated if I could have a copy, and he sent it to me. So I had that in my office as well. Okay, I have... I have- Two separate questions, but we got to go with these Pippi Longstocking braids. What was the reason for doing that? Well, we, we had, when I was competing, the Eastern Europeans were really strong, stronger than we were in general. And I had some teammates that were on the team ahead of me, and they said, if you can't win the race, you have to win the party. And so that was kind of a tradition that was sent down across generations in canoe kayak. So we always 
like tried to have fun with the athletes. And before the opening ceremonies, we were sequestered in an indoor coliseum for five hours. And so I had my, we had the ugliest opening ceremony uniforms that have ever been created on. They looked like middle school band uniforms. And I had my hair done with the Pippi Longstocking, you know, braids and the flags. And my teammate, who was also ended up being selected by Sports Illustrated as one of the other faces of the opening ceremonies, had a giant pair of yellow Olympic rings glasses. Sheila Conover is her name. She was my teammate in the four. And so the two of us wandered around the stadium for five hours, and we pretty much had our picture taken with, I would say, close to every athlete that went in, that was there for the opening ceremonies from every country. So that was not boring for us. So that's why. <laughs> you and your braids are in a lot of photo albums. We are. We are. Last one. When you look at your that 1980 Congressional Medal today, what do you think? What a waste. I mean, what a waste of a whole generation of athletes. I mean, a whole group of, of individuals that would have had amazing experiences and been heroes within the U.S and all these other countries that we had this horrible benefit, you know, that we pushed on them. I don't know if it was 66 countries or something that also boycotted and it accomplished absolutely nothing. And I think the learning, the takeaway is that athletes should not be political pawns and shouldn't be used as political pawns. And yeah, I, I look at that medal and it's just, it, it's a it's a sad time, but I feel like I put it behind me and I try not to go there. But um, I think if we can just learn from it, not to do that again. What is your first memory of the Olympics from when you were a kid? Oh, wow. Um, I think I remember watching like all of the figure skaters, Peggy Fleming, and I was obsessed with skating and watching the Winter Games. I think watching, yeah, figure skating on TV like Peggy Fleming was probably my earliest memory. And then when 72 kayaking was in the Games in 72 in Munich, and an American um, got a bronze medal in, in the C1 slalom, and it later became friends with him. But that was, I was still in high school, and watching that happen was, was just absolutely amazing. The Augsburg Ice Connect. In, uh, in Munich for the, for the Olympic Games. What was your favorite training exercise for kayak? I think my favorite exercise, the thing we did for training was to Nordic ski. And it was really funny because we would have training camps in Lake Placid and some of us came from New England and some people came from California or Hawaii and snow was just you know, not a normal thing for them. So I think the most fun thing for me was when we were, were able to go Nordic skiing as training for kayaking, just because it put a little mix difference in the mix. But um, I think the most hardcore thing we did was we would have these pull-up contests and chin-up bars and we, that we literally hung from the trees under the Spanish moss in Florida, and we would crank out 30 pull-ups, you know, and we, it was just, it was so competitive, and it was the girls and the guys, and we were hanging 25-pound weights around our waist, and it was, it was just crazy, so those were kind of fun, too. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's, Ow, that's all I could think. Uh, how many pull-ups can you do today? Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would be happy with one. Okay. That's, you know, it's, it's, I, I always kind of wonder because I'm, I myself, I'm, I'm out of shape, but just getting a whole pull up was never, has never been 
something I've I've been able to achieve. So don't blame yeah. me if that strength goes away. Yeah. Not in your repertoire. Yeah. No, the sports of choice now are mountain biking and snowboarding and Nordic skiing. Living in Colorado, those are all accessible to here and they're fun and and you can be outside. And that's a nice uh, lead into our next question. What Olympic sport would you do or coach other than your own? And we, we are taking a lot of stuff off the table for you. We're taking off no kayak canoe, no mountain biking, no Nordic skiing, no snowboard. Oh, dear. Those are all the fun ones. You just, yeah. Um, well, actually, I really admire the sport of volleyball, and I got to learn about it through my daughter. It's so scientific, but so psychological. I think it would be really fun to coach volleyball, and I don't, I don't think I would be very good at coaching it, but it would be really, it would be really fun to be able to work with a, with a volleyball team. And finally, what is your favorite Olympic souvenir? Oh, that's a good question. Um, back when the Eastern Bloc was in existence and the athletes could not get money, Western currency, they would figure out any way to get Western currency. And there were Hungarians that made, took Back in the day, the boats we raced were made out of mahogany veneers, and they were built in Denmark. And these Hungarians made little miniature models of these kayaks. So I have a K2, a double kayak, that's made out of these mahogany veneers, and it's to scale, and it's shaped exactly like the boat, and it's on a little boat stand, and it has little paddles in it, and I bought that from an athlete so that they could have Western currency to go buy probably cassette tapes at the time. That is really Or leg cool. warmers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Is that in your office as well? Um, yes, it is. Excellent. Well, Leslie, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Leslie. I plan to now live my life by the motto, win the party. I know, I know. And I, I did go and find that uh, Sports Illustrated issue. Sports Illustrated has what they call the SI Vault. They have all of their old issues online. So it's great to be able to go back and flip through the history and, and see the ads. But we'll have a link to add the issue that Leslie was in because, yeah, the, the picture is just fantastic. Yes, I had found that picture, and I think I posted it when we did her episode, but mm -hmm. I'll repost it on Insta so you'll see it, because that was some serious hairdo. That was, and so smart. Clever. I mean, there should be an art project of somebody going to find every picture that Leslie is in with one of the athletes. During, oh, my goodness. You know, I wonder if you could, tra how many you could track down. Yikes, that would be a lot. That would be a lot. Well, if you have Leslie's picture... Let us know. Send us a copy. Finally, we have Silver Fern owner Luca Jones, New Zealand canoe slalom athlete who's competed at Beijing 2008, London 2012, and Rio 2016, where she won a silver medal. She's earned the fern to compete at Tokyo 2020, and here is her lightning round. Take a listen. Lightning round. Okay, let's move on to our lightning round. Lightning round, lightning round, lightning round. I don't know why I do that, and I think <laughs> I do it every, every time. time. I do. I yes, can't it. What is your first memory of the Olympics from when you were a kid? I remember I was babysitting uh, for our neighbors and watching the Olympics while the children were sleeping, 
and watching um, Sarah Ulmer from New Zealand win a gold in track cycling. And I thought that is just incredible, you know, to work so hard towards something and then to achieve it and to achieve it in front of, you know, your whole country who's sitting at home watching. Yeah, it was it was a special moment. Which Olympics was that? Do you remember? It was Athens. Okay, very cool. Where do you keep your Olympic medal? <laughs> it's actually at my grandma's house. She... I don't know if she doesn't trust me with it or she just likes looking after it. But, yeah, because I travel so much, it's actually nice that she's keeping it in a safe place for me. Does she let you visit it? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you know, that's – your grandmother is so smart because she's saying, Luca, I'm going to make sure you come visit me. Yeah. I'm going to keep your medal. <laughs> you want to see the medal? You got to see Gran. This is how yeah. it works. <laughs> I think that's low-key what she was uh, planning all along. <laughs> what is your favorite training exercise? Ooh. I mean, I just love all aspects of canoe slalom training. But in the gym, I actually really love muscle-ups because I learned to do them last year, and now I, I'm just really proud that I can do them. <laughs> okay, I'm clueless. What What is a muscle-up? A muscle-up is like a chin-up, but you keep going so you basically pull yourself up over the bar so the bar ends up at your hips in one swift motion i'm just sitting here with my jaw hanging open sorry <laughs> you, you don't have the visual of my face going oh, that. that is amazing it's a power exercise yeah. but there's also a bit of technique to it as well what Olympic sport would you do or coach other than canoe? Oh, I think I would like to do maybe a winter sport. So maybe skiing or snowboarding. <laughs> nice. Maybe country, like ski Your country slalom. has a nice snowboarding tradition, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Building quite a reputation down there. Yeah, there's some young kids that are absolutely killing it. And then finally, what is your favorite Olympic souvenir? Ooh, that's a good question. Now you have a lot, lot of Olympics. I was yeah. like, you've got a lot of Olympics to choose from. Yeah, I'm just like scrolling through the Olympics and <laughs> <laughs> trying to think. You, you uh, can pick yeah, a couple since you've been to more than one. <laughs> Thanks. I think from you know I actually think the accreditations are quite special and they're you know they're fairly mundane if you think about all the exciting things you can get at the Olympics but I think when I look at the accreditations you know that's your ticket into the games and they're always quite special to me well if it makes you feel better you are not the only one who has said that ah oh, cool very cool <laughs> you know we have not had a non-U.S. person that we've asked this to, I think. What is your processing like when you go to the Olympics oh, as a yes. member of Team New Zealand? Because I know in the U.S. it's just like, oh my gosh, look at the stuff we get. Or mm. yeah, what 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 is your processing like? Yeah, I mean, we arrive at the village and get greeted, and then yeah, get a full bag of of kit, which is you know that's one of the most exciting things i think is to open all of your new uniform and to try it all on and 
we also usually get a green stone necklace, which is, it's a Māori tradition in New Zealand, um, or I guess it has a lot of significance to the Māori people in New Zealand, these green stone necklaces, because the way that they're carved and where the green stone is taken from, it has a lot of meaning behind it. And the ones we get, they're often, um, they're meant to give you strength and courage and that sort of thing. So to wear this green stone necklace as well um, and to be given that as part of the New Zealand team, that's really special. Now, I have seen send-offs for various New Zealand teams where they do a haka for uh-huh. you. Have you have that? Has that been done for you when you've left or when you've yeah. arrived? I remember in Beijing, actually, it's a strong memory of turning up and, and the New Zealand team who had already arrived there did a, a haka to welcome us in, and, and that was really special. And actually, for the Tokyo Games, um, we've developed a new haka with obviously new actions and new lyrics. So, yeah, it'll be exciting to um, perform that and have that performed in, in Tokyo. Oh, that's fantastic. Haka, that always makes me cry, the hakas. Does it? It, it makes me very emotional. It's very it's powerful, very special. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, to be fair, Luca, a lot of things make us cry. <laughs> <laughs> We are we are easily brought to tears. We are definitely oh, not very that. New Zealand that way. We we cry but very. It does. Uh, I can watch hakas, and if I need to cry for something, I can just turn on a haka and go to town. <laughs> so, anyway, all right, that is it. Thank you so much. This you are awesome. Yes, Yay. this is fantastic. Thank you so much, Luca. You can follow Luca on social. She's Luca Jones on Insta and Twitter and Luca Jones Athlete on Facebook. And Luca is spelled with two U's. Luca was just so charming in her Kiwiness. She was. And I'm so excited to get to watch her at Tokyo. Or what? I'm not going to get, I don't have tickets to Canoe Slalom, but. but we'll uh, find it on the stream. We will. While she's paddling in the it's stream. The stream. <laughs> I knew it. I knew the minute it came out of my mouth, you weren't going to let that one go. But that's water under the bridge now. Oh, okay. Before we go further down this river, we're going to wrap it up for this episode. We got presents to open. That's right. So let us know your thoughts on the Olympics and Paralympics and if you got something good for Christmas. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Or call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAME-IT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta. And keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Next week, we're closing out the year with our first contributor roundtable. And as we go out to music by Archdale, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.
we say lightning round, but you know, we're like the rolling thunder. <laughs>